You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Jasper. And this is Randy. We watch two movies. GCU, welcome to the world of black exploitation. Season Tarantino continues. It's uh, no guests this episode. Don't worry. There will be more very soon. More details on that later. But what movies are we going to talk about today, Jasper? The 1997 Jackie Brown. And the 1974 Foxy Brown. Let's talk about Foxy. Oh, Lord. Ooh. 1974. Uh, Written and directed by Jack Hill. Starring Pam Greer. Antonio Fargas. Peter Brown, Terry Carter, Catherine Loder, Sid Haig, Colleen Brennan, a bunch of other people. <laughs> Supporting cats. Um, Supporting cats. Overview. A voluptuous black woman takes a job as a high-class prostitute in order to get revenge on the mobsters who murdered her boyfriend. Foxy Brown. Jasper, had you ever seen... Foxy Brown. No, but I, I have heard of it. Kind of asked my family if they'd seen it. It was kind of up and down. Some people did, some people didn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I've never seen this movie before. Are you very familiar with black exploitation movies? Uh, some I like. I don't know the titles offhand, mm-hmm. but I, I we watched a lot of those when we were kids. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I don't think I'd actually seen this before. It's one I'd meant to watch along with Coffee. I, I. M- think I might have seen coffee or I started coffee at some point, but I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing. Mm. So this was, I believe, a first time watch for me. And I don't know that I'm a huge fan. In my mind, I'm like, 70 cinema is great. But there's also a lot of 70 cinema that I'm not a fan of. I don't know what it is. It's some, It's the feel of it. It's the production or something. But uh, kind of a lower budget exploitation movies like are super hit and miss with me. And in theory, I want to love them. In execution, uh, I have a little bit of a hard time with them. This movie was okay. Cringy. Only <laughs> oh, <laughs> word cringy. This movie was okay. This movie was cringy. <laughs> yeah, I... Okay, so I wanted to like this movie. But I didn't really like it. My thing is that there's a there is a good plot there that it could have been a really good movie. My thing though that I just have to say right off the bat is just the acting is horrendous. The acting is pretty bad. It's like, it's not even, I don't even want to say it's like really, I mean it probably is the actors and actresses, but it's like it's horribly timed. Like they feel like they they said action, waited like 10 seconds, then said their line. The conversations between characters didn't seem smooth to me. And that was my like that was my issue with this movie. I could not get over that it just seemed so broken apart. And some of the people they picked for their characters were kind of just weird. To touch on what you're saying about the acting, this was a lower budget movie. I mean half a million, which sounds like a lot, but for a movie even in the seventies, I guess is not an incredible amount. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling it was a lot of run and gun in a way. Quick production. Let's hammer this out. It's not the kind of movie they're going to do rehearsals and nail the timing. And the acting in general is pretty bad. I think Pam Greer's actually kind of bad in the, most of this. And mm-hmm. she's not consistently bad. Like sometimes she's good. It kind of depends what she's supposed to be emoting. But... When she's bad, it's it's very awkward. It's very wooden and seems amateurish. 
And of course, jump decades later to the movie we're going to talk about next. I think she's actually really good in Jackie Brown. So she's not a bad actor, but it, you know, she's younger and I'm guessing it was a quick production and it's just like, okay, perfect action cut print. Let's roll. We got that. We got, we got 10 more shots and then we got, yeah. I believe they said they filmed this in 17 days. My major issue, the acting aside, my major issues with this, I, cause I can overlook some bad acting sometimes and the acting is not great in this, but it's not atrocious. It's not like kill the movie bad. Part of my issue is it's kind of the content a little bit. And it's also like the pacing of the movie is weird. It really like drags in some parts. It's just not incredibly well paced or directed. There's a lot of dullness to it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of stuff like I mentioned content. This is probably my hangup. I'm in some respects a little prudish. Just the whole like, and this is an exploitation thing in general Hmm. and other movies too, of course, but especially exploitation movies of of the seventies cramming some type of sexual content into every possible scene. This is not enjoyable. This is not fun. It doesn't make it fun for me. Yeah. like (laughs) Because everything feels so seventies and cheap and dirty and hairy. And I'm like, you mix that with sexual stuff. It's not sexy. It's just kind of you. <laughs> yeah. Like, as I said, I was watching this at work and I had a coworker behind me. I'm like, Oh, I got to wait until I w- get home and watch this movie. Cause this movie is bad. <laughs> like <laughs> dude, NS, NF, NFSW for real. <laughs> NS, NSFW. Is it? Yeah. Not safe work. Sorry. NS- not for safe F-W. work. Yeah. No, it's dude. They don't waste time. The intro credits or the opening credits is uh, a lot of Pam Greer in a bikini doing half-hearted kicks and some kind of dance moves. Mm-hmm. And there's like kind of naked silhouettes of probably her, maybe somebody else. Kind of like a James Bond style like opening. And then I don't remember. We get we get some other scene after the credits. But then the first shot of the actual film scene of Pam Greer, it's it's topless boob shot right off the bat. And it's not like she's walking around topless. It's like she's walking around topless and you can't see her face. Not because there's a body double, just because the camera was more interested looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like right off the bat, the first like totally 10 seconds of her being on screen is like, yep. Okay. I get it. I know what this is. Totally, totally avoided the eyes up here rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Which I'm not. She has. So this is, Part of black exploitation is exploitation. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm not complaining. Pam Greer's and Pam Greer's all right to look at sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all good. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's what this movie is. It's fine. Best way I can put this movie is cringy. Like it just didn't tell me. Okay, that's interesting to me. Tell me what's. I'm not disagreeing. Just the acting was cringy enough for me. The but acting really like, like hit you hard. The huh? realism of like the the bad parts like was like a little overboard <laughs> like like basically when they kidnap her. Oh. And I was like, ooh. Yep. Like I'm like, okay. Yep. This movie's taking a turn. <laughs> like And it's seventies movie to somebody who gets raped. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's bad. Fortunately though, in that respect, they didn't go graphic. Yeah, at some point she is like chained to the bed and they're doing the like trying to get her addicted to drugs and this and that and uh, Which I give her respect, man. She can fight off some heroin, <laughs> right? Like, like after she, she actually she's gets not out even of phase. No, no. <laughs> I think I think they I should, eat heroin for breakfast. This ain't nothing, <laughs> right? Because they're like, oh, we're giving her like a high dose of heroin, and she just like wakes up and like, whoa, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. Which you think almost overdosing would like immobilize you? Props to to Pam Greer and heroin. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm gonna say Foxy Brown. We gotta separate the character yeah, Pram, from, like from the actor. <laughs> Jeez. So but fortunately it's not graphic in that respect. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's she's like it's not pleasant. None of that scene. She gets no. is it she's taken out to the farm or whatever they yeah, call the it. The farm, There's which these is super gross, creepy dudes there. And those characters were actually I I found very interesting. Like they made the attempt to make a lot of the characters somewhat memorable, like the mm-hmm. bad guys. I don't think it works in all their cases, but like those two guys, even though they're like some of the worst characters, like most despicable, they they were oddly compelling 
Because it's like, I don't know, some interesting decisions there. I, they actually were characters. I felt bad because my whole thought when they're at the ranch, the mechanic is singing the whole time. And the songs you sing are catchy, but the lyrics are horrendous. I didn't even like, notice. Yeah. He, whoever taught him songs, man. Were they like racist stuff? No, he's ta- basically talking about every woman that he's ever met as a whore. Oh, so, okay, okay. It was bad. Well, sexist stuff then. Mm-hmm. It, it could only go two ways. Right. One of two ways, or both, I guess. Racist or sexist. They're interesting because, I don't know, they give them unnecessary, like they could just be blank, creepy rapists, right? But like they give them weird characters that, like that guy does sing. Mm-hmm. Like the whole time, and he's, not got a terrible voice, but he's like this big round guy and he's creepy. But what about the main villains? I didn't like the woman. <laughs> no. The woman was like, she oversold some lines and like <laughs> just the look did. she had the whole time. Dude, they, they, they're so. I wanted to punch her in the face more than anybody in that movie. <laughs> I guess in that respect though, then it's an effective villain. Mm-hmm. They drove me crazy. They're so ridiculous and over the top and they nail you over the head with it over and over. Like she's, she's like turned on when her, so turned on when her husband like shows any kind of dominance over their, their uh, goons mm-hmm. and every, the end of like, you could tell there's even scenes where they cut away from the scene before they were done acting where she starts giving him the eyes. Oh, kiss me. And he's just like, oh God, okay. <laughs> like, and they nail you over the head with the, she's into this guy, but then he's just always like, clearly, okay, yeah, which, no, I love you too. Right, which is when they hug, like you could tell he did not want to hug her at all. Yeah. He was like, oh, and it's kind of humorous, but like they just take it to such an extreme level. Right. And she also had some interesting personality. Some at least they she had some character. The husband there wasn't really much to him, and his goons like they kind of tried to give them them character, but there wasn't much to them either. Yeah, and then like I also had a back of a part because when he said he gave him twenty years apiece, so basically you know she she goes in. This is like right as she infiltrates their thing, and then she basically makes a judge. She embarrasses a judge by basically pushing him out into the into the corridor or the hallway, basically naked, and then looks like he's attacking another woman. Which was, yeah, yeah. It, the scene goes ridiculous. But, like, no, she emasculates him, basically, mm-hmm. because this is after she starts, like, this is her, her one outing as, as a high-class prostitute, as the summary said. And she convinces, what, whatever becomes of the chick that goes with her? Do we ever follow up with her? I don't think so. What? Yeah. I actually just thought about it right as you were saying that. Me like, too. Like they spent 15 minutes in a car ride just and, and she the does whole get scene. away. Does she? Yeah, she does get away because remember she goes over the fence. And then that's when they got Foxy. <gasps> You're right. Yeah, she gets over the fence. But after that point, no, you don't follow up with her. Because like they don't know she where said, she lives? Yeah, she goes in there and she says, I have a plane ticket. You know, they're waiting on a plane for you, you, your husband. You're your right. You're right. And then she jumps over and okay. gets away. Well, no, that. We think she gets away. That's their way of being like, okay, well, that's what happens to her, We, but we don't want to film extra yeah. stuff. Because she's not a main character. Okay, okay. But she convinces this chick who is basically like trapped in this prostitute situation to the point where her husband brings their son. Their situation's weird. And he's like, well, my wife, and like beat the crap out of the husband and all this. But Foxy convinces her to like go along with this plan, even though it is definitely not in this lady's favor to do right. it. She can most likely get her killed. Yeah. Like right there. Not and like no getting chased and stuff, but right there. I actually kind of like how that lady plays the scene after too. So they're with this judge who they're supposed to be like, you know, supposed to be taken care of. So that he gives some of their the bad guys' goons, lets them off in court. And they even like they at what they pull his pants down and then they both just like he's laying on the bed and they're both just staring at his crotch, laughing at him about how it's so small. And that scene amused me a little bit because like I like how the guy that plays the judge plays it. Because mm-hmm. he's like going along with it. He's like, ah, ha, this is yeah, well, come on, it's action time. Ha ha. Let's you know. And then it slowly dawns. I'm like, what? Do you, 
why are you doing this? Like, what are you doing? Right. And then, it, then of course, the scene goes into the absurd where they push him out of the, lock him out of the room. And then, the, of course, there's a gaggle of ladies uh, with umbrellas come walking by as it looks like for whatever reason he's trying to assault this other lady. It's just ridiculous. But I like how the other lady, the other prostitute, plays that scene because she's like, she's loving it. She's having a great time. This is great. F this guy, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then after they push him out of the room, she's like, what have you made me do? Like, I'm never going to see my son again. And uh, she kind of has a breakdown. And that's actually fairly well acted. That lady gives me the creeps. Yeah, like I said, there there is moments where, like, the acting is good. Like, she did that part very well. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, crap, what have I done? Which is basically, like, the whole time I'm like, why are you agreeing to this? Like, right. we just set up that you can't wrong these people. <laughs> and then it was, like, good acting moment. And then just slid right back into bed. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like it's 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 inconsistent, which makes sense if it's like an issue of just running gun. Mm-hmm. Whatever you got the dialogue out, you were on your mark. Let's keep moving. Right. You know, and the look of the movie, it doesn't look that bad, but it doesn't look that interesting either. To touch on what you said at the very beginning of our conversation is like the plot's not bad, and when I look at the building blocks, the plot points of like this, this, this. The facial reconstruction surgery seems a bit extreme, but whatever, like, that's just a means to, like, put Foxy into this situation. You're right. The building blocks aren't bad. It's just how it weaves from one plot point to another really kind of makes the movie dull. It kind of fixates on certain things that are not that interesting to me. There's just not enough, like, yeah moments. Either yeah because it's fun or it's ridiculously over the top in an enjoyable way. There's just not enough of those moments to really get me on board. You know what was weird when I was thinking this just now is like how much, how much this movie kind of looks like a Tarantino movie, but like other than the bad acting. Yeah, this is the first time we've actually like looked at a '70s movie with one of these Tarantino movies. '70s cinema definitely had it's probably wheel, the largest obvious, yeah had the largest obvious influence on Tarantino's movies, excessively so. Hmm. And part of it, like, there's, okay, so I say the movie looks plain or kind of bland, but it's kind of just an element of the genre is that it's not supposed to look like sets. It just looks like you went into somebody's house and you're filming some stuff in somebody's house. Mm -hmm. It's got that extra focus on kind of a realism, I guess, in a way which is something Tarantino's definitely grabbed for just kind of his, the way he goes about certain movies. Um, Jackie Brown, for instance, mm-hmm. like has elements of that. Of course, Tarantino has more, there's more flashy filmmaking and kind of, there's more style and budget for a lot of Tarantino's movies. But it's like, we we're talking about Reservoir Dogs where it was kind of low budget and, but he just embraced it. And it looks like, you know, they just found this place. Obviously, they did set dressing, but they found this place, this warehouse, and they're going to film in it. And like, you know, it's there, there's an element to that to where a lot of times in low budget movies, but you know, including low budget exploitation movies of the '70s, they film where they can. Also, a low budget trope is you're going to see the same places, the same locations, over and over. And in something like Foxy Brown, that kind of makes it a little dull because they don't really do that interesting of stuff in these places over and over Mm -hmm. as opposed to like Tarantino where you can set like an entire movie essentially in one location. And it's still interesting because the writing's interesting. The characters are interesting. Like I try to respect the movie for what it was, but it makes me think too, like how this would have been perceived if I was my age then, you know what I mean? Like if I was around when this movie came out, like I kind of always look at it, like how was this movie received when it came out? You know, like kind of how did this look? Not, you know, 30 plus years later. Yeah. You know. So, okay. Because we've talked a lot about Tarantino's use of certain words and terms and characters. Tarantino's very racist characters. And this is the first, you know, I've mentioned several times. Well, he's influenced by 70s cinema and exploitation movies and black exploitation movies. So, like, part of it I see is, you know him taking from what they were, those were, those do. Yeah. And so this is the first time one of those we've watched. There's a lot. Right. 
And now, and you were like, oh, I bet you're going to be all over this movie. But honestly, I'm not going to be because for one, it's, it's cause it, I, it was expected. Like I knew, I know what I, you know, that's how these movies are. Mm-hmm. Especially black exploitation, which I'm, which I'm not familiar with that that mm-hmm. genre per se. Like in in a sense, now that I haven't watched those in years, yeah. You know, but it's just kind of an element of them. You know, they're pulpy movies. They're they're gritty, gritty movies. So they're going to have that kind of stuff. And right. part of it is supposed to be like a reflection of reality. Obviously, going by the characters, an exaggerated reflection of reality, but. Yeah, it's just kind of an element of it, so whatever. But there are a lot. There's a lot of uh, general racism in here. But the difference, though, I think, in something like this versus Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, True Romance, whatever, most of Tarantino, not all, but most of Tarantino's movies is the main characters of this movie, they're all black. And generally, I mean, there's obviously, like, her brother's a shifty, crappy dude. Like, they're not all good characters. But the protagonists of this movie are all black. The villains are white. So you're supposed to be on board with the black characters. So when they have a bunch of racism towards the black characters, it's, I'm assuming, supposed to put you in the place of, like, well, F these white people. F these villains. Like, they're crappy people. Yeah. As opposed to the Tarantino movies we've covered, which we've kind of taken issue with the racism is most of the racist characters are white saying racist things to other white characters, not directed at other white characters directed at minorities. But like, it's not like, I don't know. It just seems different because it's not there to kind of create this dynamic. It's just racism. That's there because it was there in the seventies movies. It feels like, so I'm fine with it here. It doesn't, it's not the same as Tarantino, but then again, it was like, 20 years before. So the seventies, man, like seventies, it was the seventies, man. So, uh, star rating. My star rating is two, two out of five, two out of five. Yeah. There's some parts I can get over. There's some entertaining parts, but I believe there's a good plot, but the execution's not well. I would agree 100% with your, with your points there. Well, I mean, okay. Nine, 80%. Mm Mm-hmm. There could be a decent plot here. I don't think it's a great plot. It feel I don't know. I the mean, setup feels we, weird. It's a plot we've seen before. But the plot points aren't bad. It could be a decent plot. And I agree, it fails in execution. It's not the ugliest movie. There's definitely worse-looking, low-budget 70s movies. In a way, this feels like the upper end of a low-budget, of the low-budget spectrum. But that said, it's a little ugly. I'm not wild about the the content. And there is a lot of bad acting. I like Pam Greer. And we do get a couple good Pam Greer moments in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially towards the end when she delivers the pickle jar. Although that doesn't seem like a fitting enough punishment for the main villain, which is the lady. Like, whatever. But she has some good lines. Good delivery on some angry lines. But about... 60% of this movie, she's not good. <laughs> she's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you think my rating's going to be? I want to say 2.5, if not three and a half. This is tough. I don't know. This is one of the most well-known, I think, black exploitation movies. So, I don't know. Like, I generally don't know how people actually feel about it. But I'm actually, I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to go two stars. It was a little... There's some memorable stuff, but it was a little too dull for me to like really want to revisit. Also, last point, dude, what do you think about the bright fake blood? <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice. That blood was like pink, <laughs> but it was funny. That's another. That's an older movie thing. Right. That's an older movie thing. Like I didn't even think about it. It didn't strike me as particularly odd. The only time that blood really does that is when you go a little bit older and you get that super like bright red thick paint looking blood right in movies the blood here was i don't know it probably might have been like that but i didn't even think about it from foxy to jackie jackie so this is the 1997 movie jackie brown okay 
Overview is Jackie Brown is a flight attendant who gets caught in the middle of smuggling cash into the country for her gunrunner boss. When the cops try to use Jackie to get to her boss, she hatches a plan with help from a bail bondsman to keep the money for herself. Based on Elmore Leonard's novel, Rum Punch. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino and technically then written by Elmore Leonard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Pam Greer as Jackie Brown, Samuel Jackson, Robert De Niro, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, Robert, I think it's Forster. Uh, Michael Bowen and Chris Tucker. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's got quite a cast in here. Did it? Does it say? Okay. Did it say? I'm assuming did Tarantino do the screenplay then? I would based I, on the book. It didn't say. Really? Well, no, did it? Oh, okay, yeah, director and screenplay. Sorry. Okay. So notable because this is, I believe, still the only movie the Tarantino has adapted something to a movie that's not like. His original idea, or his original idea, which is usually a collection of other people's ideas, but yeah, you know, yeah, it's the only time he's really adapted something. What you What do you think of this this movie? I've seen this before. I want to say I've only ever seen this once, maybe twice. Seen it in the late nineties when it came out, and then maybe sometime in the early aughts I watched it. This is one of the more and I don't mean this in a negative way. It's just kind of the way the movie is. It's one of the more forgettable Tarantino movies. That's not a criticism or a fault of the movie. It's just the way the movie is. <laughs> it's more low key. Right. But I enjoyed this movie. What about you? Had you seen it? What did you think? I had not seen it before. I did enjoy this movie. I do believe it went too long. It was two, you know, two hours, 34 minutes. It was weirdly suspenseful because you didn't know who was going to be who. You know, or how they played into the story. But everyone does, too. Yeah. It's actually not a huge, huge cast, and I, which is something I didn't, compared to most of his other movies, which I didn't realize till you read the cast list there. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Kind of crazy to me was the Robert De Niro's character, where he didn't really say much. No. Like, he, you know, he had a few lines, but it was weirdly compelling to, like, think, like, what does he have to do with this whole thing? Like, mm-hmm. you know... It didn't seem like at first I'm thinking, oh, he's like the drug smuggler. And then it's like, no, this is all Samuel. He's just kicking it. He's just a yeah. dude that got out of jail, kicking it. This up until the end when he goes full De Niro, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's been movies since that he put quote unquote excellent performances in, but that I can recall, this is the last really interesting performance of De Niro. Most mm-hmm. of the time he just plays Robert De Niro. And I'm kind of fascinated by his character in this because it's Robert De Niro, but he's not acting like Robert De Niro. I don't know. His character's so weird. He's just kind of there. And he's a stoner. So we're kind of a stoner and he's just kind of there. He's just kind a of little awkward, up, kind of goofy looking like in his mannerisms until he gets angry towards the end and then he's full De Niro. That's when you're like, oh, there he is. Like, you yep. know. But yeah, he's like, he just kind of, he's just kind of hanging out, you know, kind of chilling. But I like him. Like I like I like him his performance here, mm-hmm. even though he he doesn't have that many lines. I also like Robert Forster's character, the bail bondsman, uh, Max Cherry. Max Cherry, what a name! Yeah, he was compelling to watch. Like he's uh, trying to live live by the code and the code of law and stuff, but he, you know, kind of gets sucked in with her, kind of falls in love with her, and. Is basically like, I'm going to do anything for you, you know? Again, a character who honestly, like, I mean, he has more dialogue and more screen time than De Niro's character. But I think this is why this movie is forgettable for a lot of people. There's a lot of scenes of people not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of scenes of dialogue, but there's even scenes where there's just not dialogue. It's just following him or he's just sitting there uh, contemplating things or whatever. Like, it's a slower paced movie. It's way more low-key than anything like Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. But I find it very interesting. Like, I like when the movie follows him, Max Cherry. And I think uh, Forrester's performance is, like, good because he seems – his morality is very interesting because he seems very earnest, very honest. And I'm sure he is a straight shooter. But also, like, he's clearly not above a little bit of shadiness. Mm-hmm. In the right situation, he seems very likable. His character to me, and 
the movie kind of studies his face, his expressions, and for good reason. Like he's he's very interesting to watch in this. I think he's funny, kind of too. Like the way he does stuff and whatever. When he falls in love, like instantly, yeah, the music kicks in. That's how you know. Like you can't even see her. He can't see her. Like she's in shadow still. It's just like her walking. She's walking like a woman who just spent like a couple days in jail. Mm-hmm. And she just wants to get home. Like she's not even putting anything. She's just walking. And uh, he's like, oh. <laughs> you right. know. So that all, that kind of amused me. That cracked me up a little bit. What did you think of the two cops, uh, Michael Keaton and the other guy? Ugh. The other guy's okay. He seems appropriately like kind of slimy. It's, it's, it's funny because of all the characters, the majority of them are criminals. And even in Max, Max Cherry's case, he's going to be involved with a major crime. The two, the two, what is it? ATF guys mm-hmm. seem like some of the slimiest <laughs> characters. Right. Uh, the one guy's okay. Michael Keaton is amped up in this movie, amped up. And that's his character, but he's, he's so jarring because everyone else is pretty subdued. Mm-hmm. Even when there's violence in the movie, with the exception of kind of, uh, anything to do with De Niro's character later, even that stuff plays out very slow and deliberate and like mellow. And then Michael Keaton shows up and he's chewing gum and he's up in the camera's grill and he's all over the place. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Do you know what movie you just walked into? Calm down. You're freaking me out. You're freaking me out. Like yeah. he's just like such a juxtaposition that character. I like him as a cop though. It's weird. The dynamic between that one, the other cop is just kind of like well, okay. No, he's he's real shady. Oh, but, dude, they yeah. yeah, they seem. I couldn't I couldn't stop laughing when he's talking into the wire. Mm-hmm. He's, she's like, "Do you really have to do that?" Like, uh huh. That was hilarious. He's like overly by the book. Yeah. Annoyingly so. Now I'm counting the money. <laughs> like and putting a dot in the, yeah. There's a pretty good plot here, I think, mm-hmm. in this movie. Like I like the plot. It's interesting. It's compelling. You don't know where it's going to go. And when it comes together, like it pretty much involves everyone in the movie. A lot of them in surprising ways. But the characters are still so well done. Samuel L. Jackson's character. First off, you commented on the hair. Mm-hmm. Very memorable. Uh, it's a, a kind of a thing. That's kind of a thing, a Tarantino thing when he works with Samuel L. Jackson. He's always got to throw him in some interesting hair. It's either like the Jerry Curl thing in Pulp Fiction, and then this, it's like the the balding with the long, like, what color is that hair? The weird, unnatural. Like orange? <laughs> kind of. Like, it's, it's not red. It's like. It's like just slightly off. It's slightly lighter than his skin tone. Mm-hmm. So it all like comes together in a kind of a strange way. Apparently he picked that. He wanted his character to have a long ponytail. Interesting. Yeah. And then the the, the little skinny goatee braid thing. Mm-hmm. His character is interesting. Samuel L. Jackson, man, delivers that dialogue. He's so good with, with dialogue in these movies. But I find it interesting because he 100% feels like a different, even though some of his delivery is the same as, as, uh, is it Jules? Was he Jules? Yeah. Even though his delivery is the same as Jules in Pulp Fiction, he feels like 100% a different character. He's got a different personality. Jules is, even though he's a hitman, kind of seems likable, almost trustworthy as far as hitmen go. This guy, pretty quick, you're like, this guy is not trustworthy. I love, it might be one of the most slowest pace. Like nothing happening, but bad scenes is he convinces Chris Tucker. And like, it's been so long since, like, I remember the shot with the car going around into the field, but it has been so long since I seen it. I didn't realize, like, I forgot that he, he kills Chris Tucker, but he convinces him to get in the trunk, which is a little suspect. But, uh, then he gets in the car. It's this one long, very slow shot of just Samuel Jackson's face, his expression changes, but just slightly. And it is one of the most bad things ever. Cause you know what's happening. It's like, Oh man, you could just see it all working behind his eyes. He turns the music up and then drives around the block. Yeah. He just drives around. Yeah. Off to the slightly secluded place. Open, just nonchalant. And oh, that's the thing. Like this guy, how has he not gotten caught for anything yet? Obviously they know about him. Mm-hmm. But the couple of times you see him involved in like a murder, 
It's more or less just on the street, nonchalant, pop, pop, and then either just drives off or gets out and walks away. It's like, what? It's just... Yeah, because he just opens the trunk of the ear and he's like, yeah, hey, man, could you... And then done. And then gets in it and drives the car off. I forgot to bring this up, but Samuel's character reminded me of me because where he says, you can use my car, but don't touch my levels. Oh, yeah. He's like, you mess with the volume, but don't... He's like, "I'm they're right where I like them. I'm like, that is me in my car. <laughs> like, That's one of those lines I remember from when the movie came out. Like, it did okay. I think a lot of people are disappointed coming out of Pulp Fiction. They were expecting something more Pulp Fiction-y, more amped up. But... That is one of the lines that did catch on with a lot of people and it's probably used in the trailer a bunch, stuff like that. So there's a couple of memorable things that kind of hit pop culture for a while and that's one of the lines. Right. I just, I could not stop laughing. I'm like, this dude's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not a good guy to work for, apparently. <laughs> there's uh, there's no severance package in his employment. He had an employee he had to let go. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, I think, wasn't that after Chris, Chris Tucker died? Yeah, which was weird because yeah, know, then no he drives one, him over and shows him to the to De Niro's character, which is kind of like a, a I kind of read as a warning. Yeah, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, you work with me. This is what happens when people when I have to let people go though. Mm-hmm. He's like, because you know he wasn't going to go do twenty years and not say anything, but he has no problem killing anybody, and you know to protect himself. Yeah, that's he's exa- like the prime crime lord. You know, that's exactly it. It is like he's. It doesn't matter because he genuinely seemed to kind of like we don't really get any other we don't get any interaction between them before he goes over to murder her, but it seems like he probably genuinely liked Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. That said, they, they, the Chris Tucker, the Beaumont, his character's Beaumont, they set that up basically to set up what his plan with Jackie is. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing gets popped. He bails them out ten thousand dollars for each. That pulls character Max Cherry in. In the case of Beaumont, he bails him out. That night, goes over to his place, kills him because he knows he's going to flip on him. Same thing with Jackie, only it seemed like Jackie kind of got set up. Whereas I don't know the situation with Beaumont. But uh, same thing with Jackie. She gets popped. He bails her out. Goes over to her place. But she had a heads up because Max Cherry kind of recognized a pattern real quick. Mm Mm-hmm. Had to, he had some drinks with her and kind of give her a, a, kind of a heads up in a way. Like, this is what happened to Beaumont just like yesterday. Right. I like that scene where Samuel L. Jackson's character comes to her place that night to to murder her. He's ready. Like, he put on. we watched him put the gloves on again before he got out of the car. Mm-hmm. But that whole scene plays out interesting because she knows he's why he's there. But she like she's trying to play it cool. And... The camera kind of, them and the camera kind of moves around the apartment a few times and several times, like every time Samuel Jackson goes by the lamp, he like turns the lights down. So it's like almost black in there Mm -hmm. and then she'll walk by and she'll turn it back up and it's all one take and uh, like just really well done. But I like that she, it's not like she didn't just threaten him. Like she pulled the gun on him because he's about to strangle her or something. Yeah. Uh, Cause she's a, get your hands off my neck. But she pulls the gun to get him to stop, whatever. But then she manages to talk him into a plan to where it's like, she doesn't just threaten him like, you're not going to do anything to me or I'll shoot you. It's like, chill out or I'll shoot you. Here's what we're going to do. And she hatches this plan, which we don't really get keyed into till it's kind of in motion. And apparently convinces him to do it. And I'm really like, she manages to convince him... <laughs> at several problematic parts of the plan. Like she always manages to sway him. Yeah. She plays him pretty well. I like that scene too, because they're playing that scene and Max Cherry driving away side by side. Uh-huh. They've, oh, they, they even do split screen for a bit Yeah, to set up that like, oh, his gun's gone. Yeah. And I, at first I'm like, does Samuel have his gun and is going to blame him for her murder? You know, to kind of kill two birds with one stone, or does she have it? But then you're like, she has to have it. Like, I didn't know if Samuel L. grabbed it while they were in that that one place, but, you know. Mm. But at that for that split second, you're like, does she have, who who has his gun, you know? It's also interesting, There, I was just watching a YouTube video about this, about conflicting tones and Tarantino's use of conflicting tones. But that scene is a good example of that because it goes split screen to where, the one side we're still watching this interaction between 
Jackie and what what Ordell. That's Ordell, his name. Yep. It's this character's name. Samuel Jackson's character. Mm-hmm. This very tense scene where it's like, is he gonna kill her? What's what's gonna yeah, because I was like, this is early in the movie for her to die. Uh-huh. Like, What's going to happen? And then on the other side of the screen, we've got Max Cherry driving in his car, smiling and feeling good because he just fell in love with this with this lady. Mm-hmm. And it adds to the tension. Moving this forward, the Robert De Niro, when the De Niro finally comes out, he's super tense and they're in the big the big plan is going down. Mm-hmm. And he's there with uh, Bridget. What's Fonda. her name? Fonda. Bridget Fonda. And she's just, harping on him and like he's like because like he's about to punch her like right in the store and like he, it's very tense i guess it's we've already touched on spoilers but when that whole situation goes down what did you think did you see that coming i kind of did like just because she was just yeah really you could tell not like, stop harping, the way de niro played harping. it yeah the way de niro played it he was getting really upset she was escalating <laughs> yeah and she's like oh and he just turns around and shoots her just pop pop yeah and then he does the angry De Niro face on the scene. <laughs> I like when they get back and he's like, so where is she at? And he's like, you know, kind of thinks some things happened. And he's like, I shot her. And he's like, you shot her? I shot her. <laughs> like, you know. I like how that plays. De Niro's character, because he kind of returns back to that awkward character. Mm-hmm. And man, that's the thing. Like, he plays it awkwardly. Like, he's he plays a quiet character. But he's also like a character that you already know kind of shouldn't be trifled with. Yeah. Because he's they talk about his past quite a few times, but uh and then when again I kinda you see it coming, but Ordell shoots him, it's pretty jarring and shocking too, because it's they park and then like you got a scene of talking for quite a while and the camera's in the back of the van and we're just held on that. And then when that first shot happens, I don't know if it's just mixed super loud or if I didn't realize I had the TV turned up as loud as I did, but like, or if it just made me jump and it made it seem louder, but (laughs) it's just pop out of nowhere. Like you don't see the gun or anything. It's just huge gunshot sound. And I started getting paranoid about the neighbors here, like hearing a gunshot or something anyway. And then like blood spray on the windshield and then another one. And then he's like, (laughs) What, what happened to you? You were, you were beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That, I was like, what? That's a good line. I like it. Yeah. They said that Tarantino was catching flack for how violent and bloody and gory his movies were. So both both those killings were, one was off screen. Completely. And, yeah. And one was basically censored by his, the back of his. By the scene, scene blocking. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That does not make it less. It maybe lessens the blow, but the, like I said, increases the like shock of when it actually happens with uh, De Niro's character. But I think with Bridget Fonda's character, it kind of makes that seem so much worse to me because you don't even see like she's walking, they're walking, they're walking, they're walking. He turns, she's just out of frame. So you don't even see her at all at that point. Pop, pop. Like she's talking, 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 pop, pop. He turns around, keeps walking, and you just don't see or hear her again. She's just disappeared. Right. That kind of seems way more disturbing to me. It puts it all in yeah, your head. Like, then he it puts it all in there. your head. She's just laying, you know. Yeah, that's super effective, though. And I guess in a way of self censorship, not showing the violence, in my mind, kind of made it worse. Yeah. Which, like, I kind of think like that that part in the the VW bus where. He shoots and was like way more. It kind of made me jump because he's just like, wham. I was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> there's hardly even any movement still, even when the shot goes off. De Niro's character like rocks a bit, like jumps a bit, and there's the blood spray, but that's like it. It's mostly sound. Especially like spray. on the second shot, he kind of leans in and shoots him again. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, De Niro played that well because like, he looks, he looks shocked. Uh-huh. Like, he's like, whoa, why did you just shoot me? How did he not see it coming though? Like, he, I was like, yo, you're going to die, dude. You're right. Gonna die. Like, I knew it was coming and it Especially still made when me he, jump. As soon as he asked to pull over, I'm like, oh, you're dead. Yeah. The other big thing I want to mention then, then we can roll into star ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end. What did you think of the end? I think it leaves it open for another movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, I thought it was going to be this big showdown, you know, and she's going to tell him what's up, basically. And then, you know, he comes in with Max Cherry kind of using him as a body shield 
And then he walks in the office and all she is, she's like, he's got a gun. And then they shoot him. And I was like, well, that was kind of. <laughs> it goes to like, it's, a, you know, it takes a long time. The car ride over. It's all just tension, tension, tension. Mm. Even when he finally gets there and he walks in and it's all slow, like he walks in slow, it's dark. When it goes down, it's boom. It's like, dude jumps out of the bathroom. She shouts, he fires, done. Like just boom, split second. Yeah, it's interesting. The, yeah. A big tension, lots of buildup. And then ultra like re- resolution just instantly. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, okay. That didn't mm-hmm. pan out as much as I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Like, There's no big speech, no monologuing. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought he's, you know, he's going to get back up or something, but nope, he's just dead. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You it's, know. it's weird. It's, it's, a, it's almost off putting, but they also didn't tell Max Cherry to move. Like, or, you know, didn't give him much warning if the bullet would have went through him in the. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so after that, because we've set up this kind of romance, Max Cherry agreed to like. Oh, by the way, she got away with half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like she, they, her and Max Cherry, like, he, and he was only taking ten percent. They got away with it. They ripped off Ordell, which essentially resulted in the death of all the other characters. Ordell, Bridget Fonda's character, uh, was it Melanie? I think her name was. Yeah, and Daenerys' character, and they ripped off the ATF guys. So they got away with it. The movie set up this romance, and this is the last. This is the happily ever after scene, right? Right. Except, except it's not. He he's not going to go because he was even talking about retiring. Mm-hmm. But apparently he he changed his mind. He's not going to retire. She's leaving the country or wherever, and he doesn't go with her. And I like how it's handled, where he's like, they're having they kiss, and they're having their like goodbye. And then he gets a call because he's at work still. And he's taking the call. She's leaving. And he's like, can you go back yeah, in 30 minutes? Can you excuse me for a half hour? And you kind of expect him at that point to like put the phone down and run out after her. Instead, like, he's putting the phone down. She drives off. And then he just walks off into the into the unfocused background. Mm-hmm. And like looks like he's probably breaking down a little bit. And then she's driving down the street listening to music. It's, it's, it uh, was, yeah, it was. It's, it's, it's a weird ending to how much how much time is in that movie and how much story is in that movie. Yeah. It just kind of abruptly ended. It intentionally doesn't give you that resolution that you are expecting, which is maybe another reason it was not as popular as some of his other movies. Right. But I like it. It does. It is a bummer though. It's like, it frustrates me, but I do, I do like it. It's a movie about getting older. Right. This is essentially falling in love with a, crazy gun willing lady she is a little crazy like she she got she knows what she's doing she's got some brass ones man mm, that's because she was in Foxborough. <laughs> <laughs> uh so foreshadow what's what, what what do you rate this bad boy i rated it so at first i was at three and a half mm-hmm. uh just because length and some parts i got kind of lost on because of of length I really did like the acting and the kind of like the closure of some of the of the plot lines. So I, I went with four, four out of five. Okay. So it's at three and a half. That's your guess for me? Mm-hmm. Okay. You're giving it four. Mm-hmm. I am actually going to go with four stars as well. Okay. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's underrated. The plot is interesting. It had me engaged. The characters are very interesting. It's consistently well acted, including Pam Greer, which is was very interesting because I watched Foxy Brown one evening and then watched this, I think the next maybe, which was intentional. I wanted to watch Foxy Brown and then lead into Jackie Brown. Interesting to see her, a younger her, in a low-budget movie, not acting so hot, not acting very well, and going into something like this where bigger budget especially after Pulp Fiction. I don't know what this budget was. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was a needed a huge budget, but I'm sure he had money to work with. But also, like, no bad against Jack Hill, but very talented director. I think her acting is very good in this. Right. Everyone's acting is good. I like the directing. It's not flashy. There are moments of flashiness, but it's not flashy, but it is well handled, even the slow scenes. And this is, like, something I say, like, Foxy Brown was kind of dull. And it didn't look terrible, but it wasn't interesting. This movie, there's scenes where there's nothing happening, but it looks visually much more interesting. And from like 
observing characters, it's much more interesting. Um, it's just well made. That said, it is a little long. It's a slow pace for two and a half hours. A little long. I don't yeah. know what I would say needs to be cut because I kind of I like what's there, but it does drag and it is hard. Like I did break this into two set, two two viewings, um, which I don't like to do, but I did. I was like, okay, watched it a big chunk of it, and then I was like, all right, I got other stuff to do, so I'm this is I'm gonna take a break. Mm-hmm. A little long, and then also it's good, not super memorable, right? I, I like I enjoy it, but I understand why. I, I kind of felt I kind of felt it was like a one time watch, like it's yeah. a good movie, but like I can see watching it multiple times. Yeah, it's not something like most of Tarantino's other movies where they lend themselves to rewatches in a way. Mm-hmm. This is worth a rewatch, but it's not something like this is maybe my second or third time since 1997 watching it. Seems about right. Feels about right. So. Yeah. Glad we watched it though for this for the podcast because it is a movie worth revisiting if it's been a decade since you've seen it. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, I came man, I came out twenty two years ago. Because my little brother was so, born in ninety seven. No, it didn't. It did. Twenty two. So Jasper. Yeah. The movie studios. Tarantino's got a new movie coming up, but they've also got rights to uh you know books by this guy. And also I don't know. They want to use Pam Greer in something. How can they combine Jackie Brown and Foxy Brown into one cinematic Browniverse? That sounds real bad when I say it like that. <laughs> I'm based purely on the names. Purely on the names. Brown- Browniverse is what you said. Cinematic Browniverse. <laughs> Jackie Foxy Browniverse. <laughs> Jackson fucking Brown. That sounded like, okay. <laughs> like you dropped the F bomb. <laughs> that like that. you dropped the F bomb. I was just trying to say Jackie Fox and Brown. Jasper. Yes, sir. Are you ready? Do you have a pitch? You want me to go pitch? What do you want to do? Yeah, no, I got it. Oh, let you get, got let this? Get, let me get it. Let me get it, bruh. Let me get it, bruh. This is what I, I believe happened. Okay. So of course we're going with they're connected. It's part of the cinematic universe. <laughs> okay. Okay. So she's had previous experience i think this is kind of her trying to retire and take a real job is what jackie brown is but she so you're saying jackie brown is foxy brown yeah it's foxy brown but like on retirement basically like she tried to get a job as an airline attendant to get a real job go straight go legit yeah, go straight and then got sucked in this guy's from that previous life samuel ordell's that you know from a previous life that maybe she owed someone money or took I don't want to see mission, but took the wrong job, owes this guy money, so that's why she's doing this. You know, it's kind of like that almost she has the one job and then she's going to retire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one last, one last, yeah, one last job before she retires. Job. We're at the end of Jackie Brown. He doesn't just walk away, he goes with her, calls her up, says, you know, wait, I'll go with you. They take a slight vacation. I forgot where they're going. They're like, she's going to Cancun or something. Not yeah, Cancun. I like don't, some some vacation spot. Yeah, I don't remember where. They fly from there back to where to where Foxy Brown takes place, and she's coming back to help that group that helped her. They're the, so the, like the kind of vigilante group. Yeah, the okay. vigilante group. Okay, what she brings him along for, of course, love interest. But they're going to have vigilante justice happen. Throughout the city, and he's going to be the bail bondsman that makes sure they See, get out. You know that they don't. Okay. Catch flight, okay. He's okay? gonna. He's gonna. Oh, I like this setup. So he's yeah. gonna be bail bail bondsman, but he's gonna be working with the vigilantes to kind of. Yeah. Like, gotcha. I like it. I yeah. like it. So then so she could be a good system right there. Yeah. So what she does is that you know it's not like a huge prostitution ring, but she does have an escort service to help. She takes basically over that business, right? What I'm saying. Okay. Because it doesn't really work with that group that would be prostitution, but that's what I was trying to iron out. But uh, basically making sure that the vigilantes don't get in trouble. And then she starts her own vigilante empire, and that's like her retirement. Like, she she has done this. Now she's going to get all that stuff off the streets, like the heroin and then all these crime lords. But I believe that the two cops and Jackie Brown were in or- Ordell. What's his name, Ordell? Mm-hmm. Or Dell's pocket. He's actually not dead. Okay. 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 So now he he is back, and then that the whole third movie is the return of Odell. 
and her <laughs> return. I love it. What's it called? Something. Is it just the return of Ordell or is it going to be like it's, something brown? The return of Ordell. <laughs> I had a name for it. I forgot. Uh, something brown part three. I think it was. Yeah, it was Foxy Jackie Brown. Foxy Jackie Brown. The, yeah. Redel, like uh, retribution. That'd be the subtitle. Rudell Tribution. <laughs> Stupid. I'm sorry. Oh no, that's the name now. We gotta stick Okay, with it. okay. But yeah, I think I think she starts her own empire. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, before I launch into mine, can I take yours uh to a H and L? I wanna I wanna jump on yours a little bit. I wanna to the limit. make yeah. it like add another movie maybe to yours. Yeah. Is eventually the cinematic universe is starting to run its course. They need to like freshen it up, you know. Uh you can only do the return of uh Ordell so many times. So eventually they do a little like a a little twist, a little turn, a little flip. And Jackie Brown and Max Cherry have been running this. They basically took over that one creepy couple's empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they become the villains of the movie. And they're basically like a twisted version of those two from the, from Foxy Brown. But like less creepy, but more uh, less evil? creepy, less creepy, but more evil. I'd say less creepy, unintentionally evil. Like they're bad, but they're not like trying to be bad. They, they're trying they just to just kind of became. They're that using way. the vigilante system to to try to do good, but they're actually doing. They unintentionally worse. pervert it. Yeah, they're doing worse. Yeah, yeah, killing the wrong people. Who dies in the movie though? Who? Neither of them. I think Max Cherry dies. Yeah, probably. And then she cuts off Ordell's. Oh, oh, that's how it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. And then, but only at that point does she realize she became the villain. And then, just as as an act of old habits, she sends the pickle jar to Melanie, but it's addressed to the morgue, and it just sits in front of her door in the morgue. She's still in the morgue. Yeah, she's still there. Okay. Interesting. Or no, it could be the cemetery and just sitting on top of her bottle. <laughs> that's, a weird, that's weird. <laughs> she, pardon my language. She can, uh, I said that weird, like Matthew Mac- McConaughey. Pardon my language. She sends it to that, the, the quote unquote Rocco that Ordell had. <laughs> the rock. She ain't gonna be no Rocco. <laughs> Be funny if the pickle jar has like his hair on top of it and the beard from the front of the. <laughs> okay, wow, weird. <laughs> okay, sorry. It's went into like Aqua Teen Hunger Force world mm-hmm. for some reason. Okay, so here's my pitch. It's gonna be May unexpected. It's gonna be May. <laughs> it's no. gonna be. Uh, so I thought about also the obvious thing, right? Foxy Brown is Jackie Brown, but I mean you can't really do anything else. It's the same lady. <laughs> well, here's the deal. Here's my issue, though. Foxy Brown was not a criminal at all. Well, she became a vigilante, but she was out for revenge. That's different, all right? But she was not a criminal. In fact, her boyfriend was was a, an agent or a informant. Well, he was an agent. They called him an informant, but like he was actually an agent. So he wasn't really an informant. He was like undercover. Mm-hmm. So she was, a, she was on the straight and narrow. She was not a criminal. Jackie Brown, however while not a violent criminal, was a criminal. So I'm like, well, how do I reconcile that? But then I thought about Sid Haig. Sid Haig is in both movies. He plays the pilot in Foxy Brown, who is a drug smuggling pilot, not on the straight and narrow, but he plays a judge in Jackie Brown, who is on the straight and narrow, you assume. So here's the deal. It's going to be like, that movie, Cloud Atlas, where you have the same people in different realities, different parallel universes, different, different, <laughs> different incarnations of the same people. And in one version, you got Foxy Brown, where Sid Haig is a drug smuggler whose, whose stuff gets messed up by Foxy Brown. So in another version, one of those funny twists of fate in another universe. Jackie Brown is a drug smuggler who smuggles drugs on a plane. And Sid Haig 
shows up as the judge. Gives her a very steep bail. So we're just going to explore that. So we're going to get different versions where different versions of like this sets up a whole plethora of movies to where it's always Pam Greer, slight different versions of a, you know, you've got Pam Brown, you got Foxy Blue, just whatever. <laughs> Maybe we'll stick with the brown thing. Okay. <laughs> she's she in one of them. A, she it, starts a squad of different color foxies. In maybe that's what it is: foxy black, foxy red. So basically, it's a foxy version of the Power Rangers. In one of them, she plays Jack Brown. She can play a man, or she's in a retelling, all female cast version of Reservoir Dogs. Yep, and she plays Mrs. Brown. She plays every character. In that one. She, they're gonna they're gonna Eddie Murphy the clumps. But Professor, what is that movie? Flubber? What? I don't know. She has to do a different voice for each character. Yeah, they're going to Eddie Murphy. I'm Mrs. Here. White. And then she's like, I'm Ms. Brown. So, so we're going to set this up. Maybe we'll have a movie that explores the different versions of them. But then there's a rip in fabric. Like, what are these movies missing? Well, you got crime. That's great. You know, you bring in a black exploitation element. That could be a lot of fun. Good character development. These need sci-fi. Rip in space time. <laughs> Jackie and Foxy have to assemble the Foxies, like you said. We've got Foxy Red, Foxy Pink, you know, and uh, they have to fight Ordell's and Sid Haig's and the castrated villain from, the, from Foxy Brown shows up at some point. <sighs> I'm not saying it's cohesive or even a good pitch, but it's a pitch. There you go. You got it now. <laughs> you got it. Okay, next episode, we are doing Death Proof, because that's that's the next Tarantino movie, which, uh, if you don't know, listener, was the Tarantino half of the Grindhouse double feature that Tarantino made Death Proof, and Robert Rodriguez made Planet Terror. We are actually not going to do Planet Terror with Death Proof, just because we're going to mix it up a little bit. What we're going to do, I'm not sure yet, because I'm going to let... The guest or guests decide. Who are the guests? Well, if we're going to do something like Death Proof, which is an obvious throwback to like that kind of 70s drive-in movie, Grindhouse experience. If we're doing a Grindhouse movie, we had to reach out to the Grindbin guys. So yeah, we're going to have guests on, uh, I'm assuming for sure Mike. I don't know if... Uh, Anyone else from Grindbin is going to be on, but we're going to have we're going to have the Grindbin guys on the show finally. It's about time I finally like reached out and nailed this out because I've been on Grindbin three times and I have not had them on our show yet, either of either Grolich's which they yet. would be like the best fit for a guest, dude. They not are saying the anything per- about a previous guest. They are the perfect thematically a good fit for we GCU episodes ago. <laughs> a good fit for GCU, the perfect fit for. Death proof. Death proof, yes. One hundred percent. So I this called is, this is their field. I called on Mike's I called on Mike's expertise because he will be able to dig up the perfect movie to pair with this that I'm sure you and I have probably never heard of. Right. Because the Grindhouse, like I enjoy Grindhouse movies to a point. Obviously, we were talking about Foxy Brown. I was not super fond of that. So like I'm a little torn on some Grindhouse stuff. It's not my specialty. It is their specialty. Right. So, unless things change, that's what's happening the first GCU of this coming month, which is... May. The first my episode... birthday month! The first episode of Jasper's birthday month, May. Mm-hmm. be 31 this year. However, next week, you're going to get an extra special treat. You're going to get a little extra something. There's going to be a special bonus Grolic Cinematic Universe episode... That we actually recorded on accident yesterday. We started the recorder to record this episode last night. Talked for an hour and 45 minutes about television shows. (laughs) And then I had to go to work. (laughs) Then Jasper had to leave. Much like about now. So that's what next week we're going to drop that as a bonus episode. And actually, it's super solid. I liked it. There's a lot of good energy, a lot of good talk. Yeah. Since there's five weeks this month, I figured we just accidentally recorded an entire episode 
not about Jackie Brown or Foxy Brown. Right. It was supposed to be a pre-show. It was supposed to be a pre-show. Uh, so yeah, that's going to go up. That's going to go up next week. So you're going to get a triple dose of GCU this month. Bam, bam, bam. Jasper, where can people see what you do online? You can, you can find me on that social media platform called a Twitter. I'm on their Carranzo Media, which is K-O-R-A-N-S-O Media. And you can also find me on Mixer, Mixer.com slash Carranzo. I'm Randall Sylvie, and you can find me at RandallSylvie.com. It's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-E-Y. That's got links to like the podcast network that I run, PodEdit.com, where you get podcast service. Listen, it's got my links. It's got my links. Hit me up. But you can follow GCU on Twitter at GCU podcast. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook. We share the Facebook page with Grolix podcast. So it's facebook.com slash Grolix podcast, or as always, you can find this show and more. Why did I sound weird? And more and more, but wait, there's more, but wait, there's more. You can find the Grolix podcast at GrolixPodcast.com. It's G R A W L I X podcast.com. You want me to go full promo? Yeah, full. You want me to give you the full promo? I'll whip this promo out and slam it on this promo desk. You're not going to get hit so hard the side of the face with a promo. You're going to be seeing ad spots left and right. Your eyes will be sparkling with promos. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is Randy. I wait till the end of the show to get amped. <laughs> yeah, that's a little late, bud. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I can't believe I didn't even mention we talked about race. This movie got criticism for N bombs. Mm-hmm. I want to say I could be I could be wrong, but I think Samuel Jackson's character might say some disparaging thing about Asians at some point. However, nobody refers to any other. As far as I can recall, nobody refers to any other race by a derogatory term.